Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to episode 48 of the Stream Bucket Podcast. Oh, two off of 50. Does, yeah. Do we have a 50th anniversary when that comes up? Yeah. Alright. We have a little party popper. We'll a, a single... What was the name of the... Ah! Uh, Vuvuzela. No, the... I know it. Yeah, I don't know what they're called. The party <laughs> whistles. Yeah. Mm. Whistle flaps. Yes, whistle flaps. So we're, that's that's for another time. That's two whole episodes away. We're about episode forty-eight today, Adam. Mm. By the time we do episode fifty, the world will be orange. Why? And donut shaped. Is this a thing, or are you just making things up? I'm just making things up. But God knows what's going to happen. In another four weeks' time. I know. Everything and everything could happen. Gyms will be reopened. Gyms will be open. We can work on our muscles and our figures and our frames. Uh, uh, Theatres will be reopened. Really? Yeah. I think that's happening imminently. How are they? Is that, uh, but I guess that people have to sit far apart and stuff. I think it's open air things. Because uh. I think there's a lot of banging on about the... You know, like the open air theatre in Cornwall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that big famous one. Those big... Noise about that reopening. Well, hopefully, in two weeks' time, I'll be able to talk about my experience watching Jurassic Park in an open air theatre at Nebworth Park. Oh! Which is exciting. That is exciting. Yeah, very exciting. I um, wanted to go see that. There was another one as well. They're Back to the Future. Ferris Breeders Day Off was there yeah, one? Yeah, that was one. Yes. Um, speaking of things reopening, obviously, since our last show, the pubs in the UK have once again opened their doors. I went to a local pub in Hitchin called the Highlander last night mm. for their reopening. They had a wonderful pavilion up, a really posh pavilion, which was like a kind of festival tent pavilion. And I had a wonderful, a wonderful pilsner to kick things off. And it was genuinely worth the wait. It was so good to have an actual real-life pint and not a can of knockoff supermarket cider. You, you could buy proper beer. Yeah, but it's just not the same, is it? No, I suppose not. It's just not the same. I've yet to do it. Ah, it's really good, it's really good. Mm. I recommend it. Although I was on antibiotics because of my disgusting tonsillitis. Oh, yes. So I got twatted. Uh, you, can, you can listen to the Patreon-exclusive podcast to hear all about Rob's infectious diseases. Yeah. If the, the dirt if, bag. If that doesn't make you sign on as a Patreon, <laughs> I don't know what will. Because Rob is just a disease dirt bag baby yeah. i've had um a dead throat i've had an infected i'm adam linger Ugh. i to my t- i'm putting on a vacuum cleaner we might have to bleep these out why just because it's horrible isn't it's it it's gross yeah Ugh. i was so stupid that when i was trying to burst my infected finger i stabbed the pink <laughs> bit with flesh under it as opposed to the I'm bit. gross so i just stabbed myself and gave, put myself into agonising pain I was questioning why it hurt so much but I was literally just stabbing myself in my skin <laughs> so that was that was dumb but well yeah. you've learned you've learned the, the, learned the lessons learned of being a home doctor I also remembered I haven't been this ill in about 10 years and I remembered my old home comfort which is Studio Ghibli if you're watching um, if you need something to make you feel better when you're feeling really poorly you need to slap on Spirited Away be whisked into that world. Yeah, this is why when I tried to do an all-nighter Prince Charles cinema, uh, it's very difficult doing Studio Ghibli because it's very sleep-inducing. It's, it's so, just whisk you away. Yeah, it's such a beautiful, cosy little animated world. 
these characters. How do you feel about the new CGI one? Um, I need to see a trailer because I didn't like the stills. Mm. The stills looked weird and not even that good. But um, I imagine it's something where when you actually see it in motion, it'll be like awe-inspiring. I mean, it's Studio Ghibli, and I get this with a lot of older animation things. The older ones look better because they've got more of a... Uh, well, they've got kind of more of an artistic touch to them. Yeah. Whereas later on, it kind of feels more computer-generated. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, like, yeah, definitely. With, even in just flat animation. So it's going to be interesting to see if the style... Yeah, if you go back to like Nausicaa or Princess Mononoke, it's like crafted with art and pencils yeah. and things. It's like, wow, 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 look at this. Amazing animation. Yeah, I, I agree. Mm. Have you been watching anything? No. But I have been listening to lots of podcasts. Because I find that when I'm doing things, like when I'm writing or doing design stuff, it's so much e- like podcasts are the perfect thing to do because you can tune in and out. You've got a different brain because because I I would not be able to concentrate because my simpleton brain has problems absorbing two pieces of information at once. If there was someone talking information at me, I would lose my my state well, of flow. It depends what you're doing. If you're writing, it's hard, right? Because you're going to start typing what you're hearing yeah, yeah 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 but when you're just doing like photoshop for six hours a day as i was oh that's yeah that's different it's just making squares and oh oh, oh very witty adam buxton <laughs> as you click and okay oh, that makes a lot more sense. but if you're just sitting there typing yeah it's a nightmare i can't even do it with work no for day job work but anyway yeah so uh adam buxton podcast i've just worked my way through over a year's worth of those mm. it's interesting even though we're still kind of in the pandemic it's interesting hearing it from the beginning again. Yeah, I and imagine hearing, that's really fascinating. Hearing the panic sort of build and build and subside and carry on. I might get, I might actually give that a go as well. I'd like to hear it all unfolding and what kind of their reactions are. Is... It's quite interesting because I think he um, he came back earlier because Adam Buxton does podcasts all year round, but he kind of has seasons of it. He has big gaps in between while he goes away and has interviews with people. So he had this big sort of gap prepared after Christmas, but then came back early because he was like, oh, God, we got to talk about this stuff. Um, it's really good. And also it, it, it went alongside him finishing his uh, his book. So a lot of the stuff he does is pre-recorded episodes. from, And sometimes he's recorded it like six months ago in an interview or something ridiculous like that, hasn't he? Some but, of them are like years old. But this one, a lot of the new newer uh, Corona era ones, uh, he did almost then and there. And I suppose the, he's got the the rosy intros as well. Which yeah. Does he always reflect on it there when he's? He does. Of, yeah. He talks about what's going on in the household. So it's kind of a nice. It's almost like a, a fly on the wall kind of what's going on in this family's house in Norfolk. Um, but yeah, no. His got the audiobook, which I haven't actually started listening to yet. But apparently, I'm hearing mixed reviews. Some say it's a bit too sad. Which is interesting. Oh, he goes into his disagreements with Joe a bit, doesn't he? He goes into his whole upbringing and stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. Adam Buxton, if anyone doesn't know, he's a TV personality, got quite big in the 90s, um, then went on to radio, and has always kind of been a bit of an icon of mine growing up. So it's quite interesting hearing kind of the real life behind him a little bit. But yeah, yeah, what have you been doing? Um, uh, Festering, dying. (laughs) Oh, yeah. um, Soddle, nothing. No, okay. Nothing. I, I got Luigi's Mansion on the Switch. So I've been. Ca- I've also been kidnapping ghosts all week, uh, sucking <laughs> them into my vacuum cleaner, yeah. which has been great. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. 
Brilliant. Well, what's going on in the show? So, um, we've got the standard stuff, the Fortnite Schmort Night, um, and we are going to be reviewing our first ever Western. Yeah, so last time I chose the word different, which you scoffed at. Yeah, I thought it was stupid, because you apply it to anything. <laughs> you can apply it to everything. What we've gone for, what I've gone for is, in, in a way to uh, pay tribute to the loss of Ennio Morricone, cinematic soundtrack composer legendaire i've chosen once upon a time in the west which is a film about different people from different backgrounds all kind of crossing paths yeah and and building this new future it's a different kind of western with different people the word is different nice it's an inspired choice and I'm very happy you chose it because it gave us an opportunity to watch an incredible incredible film excellent well we'll talk more on that later we've also got reviews from me and game reviews from Nick and we're gonna talk some bit of stuff in between yeah how's that yeah perfect lovely stuff Adam's Film Reviews The Old Guard 2020 who are you you can call me Andy I lead a group of soldiers. Fighters like you. With an extremely rare skill set. What do you mean? Mother? Let's just say we're very hard to kill. You've got questions, kid. You want answers? I have the new one. And? I think she has potential. (laughs) Another Netflix original adaptation of an old comic book. The Old Guard was written by the original comic scribe Greg Ruck and directed by Gina Price by the word. First announced in 2017, The Old Guard introduces us to a group of undying semi-immortal mercenaries led by the impossibly ancient Andy, as she prefers to be known, played by Charlize Theron. The rest of the group include the former opposing crusader soldiers and now couple, Joe and Nikki, played respectively by Marwan Kenzari and Luke Marinelli, and Napoleonic soldier Booker, played by Matthias Schoenarts. Together, they are the old guard, able to recover from mortal wounds and mostly old age for reasons. Hired by former CIA operative Copley, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, the unit are sent to Sudan to rescue a group of kidnapped children. The mission, however, is nothing but a trap, and the group are soon ambushed by Copley's men in a bid to capture, or at the very least, confirm the group's ability to come back to life. See, the group's activities haven't gone unnoticed. Their presence throughout history has been observed again and again. One man in particular has taken note of them, a millionaire pharmaceutical exec by the name of Stephen Merrick, played by Harry Melly. It's his belief that with enough samples taken from the old guard, his scientists may be able to unlock their inherent survival abilities and turn it into a cure for, well death. Furious at their betrayal, Andy sets her targets on Copley to get revenge, but her vendetta is interrupted when the group suffers dreams of another mortal being out there, an American Marine serving in Afghanistan by the name of Niall, played by Kiki Lane. See, Niall isn't having a great time. While in pursuit of militants in Afghanistan, she is confronted by her target and is taken surprise and sliced across the neck. With all of her comrades expecting her to be dead, they are shocked and terrified to find that she has made a full recovery, 
without even a scratch left of her mortal wound. Desperate and alone, Naya was kidnapped by Andy and taken to the rest of the group. To be immortal is to be alone, but it's Joe's belief that the dreams they have signifies that they should be together. So, with Niall under Andy's wing, the group soon set off to find the man that was targeting them, while the truth of Niall's sudden appearance begins to dawn on Andy and the group at large. Now, just come out and say it, the old guard is pretty good. It's easy to see that it was based on a comic series and has a very similar tone to the likes of 2008's Wanted or especially 2010's of The Losers. It's an action film and pumped full of great choreography and some genuinely impressive set pieces, despite its somewhat out-of-date vibe. While the soundtrack isn't all that to write home about, the performances in this film are incredible. Charlie Sferon, in particular, stands out as a brooding and hard-nosed veteran, able to break her routine to show some genuine character throughout the story. Kiki Lane, too, portrays a very believable and charismatic Niall on screen, with similarly great performances from Chiwetel Ejiofor and Matthias Schoenart. The only real issue I have with the old guard is that the somewhat cliche and boring Stephen Merrick. While Harry Melling clearly put his all into his performance, the idea of Big Pharma being the bad guys is so ordinary it's almost cringeworthy. But while, but while Stock Villain number 392 with Stock Motive number 2 making money is bad, it's not enough to, un- it's not enough to undermine the performances and intriguing storyline in The Old Guard. There's a sequel hook too, and for a long time in a while, I would love to see our heroes come back a second time. Now we have the backstory, now we have the setup. I think we have a lot of potential to see the old guard truly let loose. It's on Netflix, check it out, it's definitely worth seeing. Let's move! Wait for the signal. How the hell can you even tell? Oh. Just a sweet screen bucket. So earlier this week, we heard the tragic news that Ennio Morricone, a cinematic legend, has passed away at the age of 91. And since it's probably not going to feature in the Fortnite Schmort Night, I think it's worth we talk about him a bit. Yes. We need to. I mean, he's one of the most incredible composers of all time, I would say, in terms of movies. He's... I mean, he's iconic. And I didn't even know, like, we were just looking for it now. I've, I always assumed John Carpenter did the theme to the thing, which is rubbish movie knowledge on my part, but it was him. Yeah, Ennio Morricone must be one of the most versatile composers. I mean, everyone knows him, obviously, for the work he did with Sergio Leone in the Westerns, including probably the most iconic, genre-defining song ever put to music, the good, the bad and the ugly theme, mm. which... I certainly did it. Four-year-olds be running around playing cowboys and Indians, cowboys and Native Americans, uh, and be whistling the theme to a film they probably haven't even seen. But it's so in every parody and every pastiche of the Wild West. That's yeah. that is to go to. I used to walk around. I I, I remember. It. I used to go around the playground going, <whistles> you know, yeah, amazing. It's part one of those things that just everyone knows, and and it all comes down to this one genius man who lived and breathed music 
I've seen uh, Metallica a couple of times, and such is the amazingness of hearing Ecstasy of Gold in a massive field with from giant speakers. You kind of Metallica are one of the best bands live in the world, but at that moment, you're happy for them not to come on yet, just so you can keep on <laughs> listening to Ecstasy of Gold. Yeah, yeah, that's how amazing it is. Yeah, incredible. Let's think. His music. Uh, lots of people say that music and sound is as important, if not more than visuals in film and TV. And I think, as we'll discuss later on, that is so true of Ennio Morricone. In fact, his music goes above and beyond a normal soundtrack. Um, John Carpenter paid tribute to Ennio Morricone as they were good friends, and they worked together on a few things. Not just the thing. Um, But a good comparison there is, John Carpenter does music that is wallpaper, it's to be almost ignored. It's like a it's like a mood setter for what you're seeing on the screen. Any Morricone's scores are like heart wrenching. This is the thing. This is the experience that you're going to be taken on. They attack. There's his soundtracks attach themselves to the characters. Yeah, yeah. Like the facial movements in like. I mean, like obviously, we we're just watching uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. We'll talk about more later. But everything, it all. Obs- absorbs into everything that's going on in the screen at the mo- at the moment and it's yeah yeah absolutely and i think a lot of people on twitter who are mourning ennio morricone um have been talking about the thing regarded as one of the best horror soundtracks of all time and that again it's the same kind of thing you can walk around at night with that in your ear the theme to the thing playing and you will need new trousers it's <laughs> terrifying and it it captures something more than just music, it's something quite human. It gets really to the core of what you're listening to and, and influences your emotions. We were just listening to the soundtrack from Inglorious Bastards as well, which has some area, uh, Morricone music in it. There's one track in there that made me feel tense. Oh, God, yeah. My muscles seized up. Ugh. But he's done... It, it hasn't just done those kind of big bombastic themes as well. He's also done smaller parts. He's done jazz numbers. He's done the weird soundtrack to Exorcist 2. He, it's unbelievable just how important Ennio Morricone was to cinema in mm. the last well, 80 years, I suppose. Um, have you seen Cinema Paradiso? No, I have not. Right, Cinema Paradiso is a love letter to film. The story is basically about uh, a kid who hangs around with the projectionist in a cinema and watches him make films and stuff but the what you're watching on screen is a boy watching a grown man use a piece of machinery but the music is telling this pages and pages of story and if you haven't seen it i would highly recommend it the soundtrack is beautiful um yeah it's 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 hard to quite express just how much we're gonna miss him really no and, you know, you can guarantee that come the next BAFTAs and the Oscars, it'll be his music that's played over everything. He's just, you know, universally adored. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, so, yes, rest in peace, Ennio Morricone. Uh, I will be listening to music whenever I can. Absolutely, me too. Scelto il più grande musicista italiano vivente, il grande Oscar Ennio Morricone.
destro, questo è il primo David. Welcome to Fortnite Schmortnite. New plot details for the upcoming Halloween Kills have been announced. Fans will be excited to hear that many characters are returning from the original 1978 film, including Lindsay Wallace, Nurse Marion Chambers and Sheriff Leigh Brackett, all played by their original actors. Speaking to Empire, writer Man- Danny McBride said that events in the film bring together a lot of characters who are in the 1978 film who we didn't see last time. They gather to try once and for all to take down Michael to stop this madman. He added that the sequel is more about the unravelling of a community into chaos and about how fear spreads virally rather than Laurie's isolation. Yeah. I'm kind of happy about that because I'm kind of I, I'm done with people thinking she's crazy. I, I... Yeah, it feels a bit fanficky. Do you know what I mean? Let's yeah. get all the characters back. Let's all hug it out. We're all friends. I suppose that's what like a lot of writers would do. Like, they, they go back to the source material. I mean, that's what they did with Star Wars, and that didn't turn out so well. Oh, it's the worst thing ever when yeah. they do that. The worst thing's Picard, when you have a character who's kind of standoffish and uh, stiff up a lip, and now he's hugging them. Mm. Not because the character would, but because we want to see it, because yeah. we're fans. Run the risk of just treading in old tracks although um, I'm sure Halloween I'm sure that won't be an issue John Carpenter's still got the helm and oh good um yeah so it's been delayed it was going to be out this October now it's been pushed to next October mm. <sighs> it's going to be a long old slog until we get back to movie madness again eh I suppose he'll have odd oh, it's almost worth having both of the next two back to back. Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, mm. which feels like a spoiler. But yeah. anyway. Universal's next monster movie reboot, The Wolfman, will be helmed by director of The Invisible Man's Leigh Wannell. Oh! This follows news that Ryan Gosling will take up the titular role oh. earlier in the year. The film is reported to maintain the supernatural elements of the original 1941 film, but will be set in the present day. Ryan Gosling? Yeah. That feels weird. I mean, he'll be—he's be a very subtle, calm wolf. Yeah, he's—you know—he very rarely explodes into a rage. So maybe it'll be quite interesting to see this this side of the Gosling. Hmm, I'm curious about that. I mean, have you seen Invisible Man yet? I know it's fantastic. Oh my god, it's so good. But but most of that's partly down to Elizabeth Moss, I thought. Anyway. A new trailer for The Boys Season 2 is released by Amazon. Oh, yeah. And it looks friggin' incredible. Yes, it does. The new season finds our anti-superheroes, anti-superhero heroes as wanted men, hunted by the law as well as the soups, hoping to start a fight back against the evil Vought. We have it confirmed that the first three episodes will be released on Amazon Prime on the 4th of September, and then will be released weekly after that. I'm very excited. Do you know what? The Boys is my favourite TV show in the last couple of years. I mean, Chernobyl may be up there, but I, I like it more than Stranger Things. I like it more than, especially the last few series of Game of Thrones. It's the best TV show. It's better than Preacher. It's so good. Uh, yes. I think I prefer the first series of Happy. Really? But that's because it speaks to me very directly. I don't know, I don't know why. But yes, it is. I mean, it is phenomenal. I just, I could. It is definitely better than Preacher. I can't wait. I'm gonna watch. The, I might start watching the first series again. Uh, actually. Do you know what? Me too. When was the first episode out? Uh, what, what of the new series? Yeah, September fourth. Oh, okay. it's ages so away. away. I know. It's very annoying. But at least we get free. Oh, do you know what's coming out before then? What? Transformers: War for Cybertron oh, Siege. That does look awesome. It looks interesting. 
I don't know about the lips. They've oh, all got yeah. robot lips. Yeah. But yeah, no. Mm. It looks really cool, though. Netflix? Yeah, and I'm done with Earth and Transformers. I want to see Cybertron. I want a Cybertron. I think you might cross over. Uh-huh. I think you might do that. But yes, it's going to be interesting. Can I have some Beast Wars, please? It, well, yes, please. Okay, there's going to just a bit of Beast Wars in there. Mm. Uh, where else we got? Charlize Theron has... Yeah. Charlize Theron has said that... Charlize Theron has said... What's happening? Charlize Theron has said that George Miller's plan to cast a different furo... Charlize Charlize Theron. Can you say her name? Charlize Theron has said that George Miller's plan to cast a different Furiosa in his planned spin-off prequel to Mad Max, Heartbreaking. It's a tough one to swallow, she said, speaking to THR. Why are you giggling at that? No. <laughs> no. Why are you laughing at that? I don't know. It's not more so in the aftermath of making Fury Road with him. He's a master and I wish him nothing but the best, Theron said. Yeah, it's a little heartbreaking for sure. I really love the character and I'm so grateful I had a small part in creating her. She'll forever be someone I think of and reflect on fondly. Miller has... Uh, Miller has reportedly looked at ki- killing... Blah, blah, blah. Why has my dad had her? George Miller has reportedly looked at Killing Eve star Jodie Comer for the role, among others. Uh, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Ooh. Off of The Vavitch. Off of The Vavitch. She's very Yes. Mm. I mean, uh, we mentioned her recently. She's great, Anya Taylor-Joy. But I've got to say, Jodie Comer, her face looks like a young Charlie's Theron. It, it, I was thinking that. I was looking at her earlier. I mean, I love Charlie's Theron to pieces. I'm very sad. But yeah, if it's going to be a prequel of Furiosa in her very much younger days, then I guess that she's got to be recast. She can't play a 22-year-old or whatever, can she? No, especially if you're going to be doing... I mean, knowing George Miller, knowing Mad Max, it'd probably be quite intense as well. Yeah. You probably won't be able to do quite... We'll see if it's fake kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. I am a bit worried that without the Max figure, we might lose something. The thing with Mad Max is Max isn't the central character necessarily. He's not the guy with stuff going on. He is, however, the audience's way in. Yeah. So as an audience, you're following Max, a man who's not that mad, despite the name. Uh, You're following this guy as he enters this world and you see it from his perspective. Without that, I worry it's going to lose a connection. I wonder... So... If we were to say that Furiosa is taking over, generally speaking, the role of Mad Max in the protagonist sense, there's going to be another gap to be filled for another good guy who's kind of the partner, because that's kind of a common theme in all the Mad Max films, is there's another kind of guy on his side who's helping out. Yeah. So uh, it's you're losing the... Because Max is quite normal, and you're right, you can relate to him. But um, obviously, with Furiosa, she's absolutely wild. So I guess you do lose that kind of access. Yes, there's, if she's work, so if she's living in this world with Big Scary Man, mm. whatever his name was, uh, we're gonna just sort of have to deal with the world as we see it, which yeah. seems weird. Unless, unless Furiosa herself is the Max character. Right, she's a wanderer who gets yeah. kidnapped or something. Yeah, or, and she could be from a completely different part of the map. She could be from. Well, she is. She's she's with the the warrior women, motorbike women. Oh, okay. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. So yeah, so she could be like a nomad and she gets captured or something. I can't remember what her character was. She might have been given up for or oh, whatever. 
But yes, I, that's the only my only hesitation. I'm sure it'd be brilliant. Yeah. All faith in George Miller. Yes. Just hopefully it won't take the 15 years it took Fury Road to be made. Cannot wait. Mm-hmm. And to round us up with some very, very big adult political news. Political. Political? Political. With John Tickle. <laughs> Presidential candidate Kanye West has stated that when he wins the presidency, he will run the White House like the fictional country of Wakanda. Oh, great. Talking to Forbes about his plans, West said that a lot of Africans do not like the movie and presentation of themselves in Wakanda. But I'm going to use the framework of Wakanda right now because it's the best explanation of what our design group is going to feel like in the White House. (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. People from Africa don't like their representation, but whatever... I'm yeah. doing it. Why did he? Yeah, that's a really weird. He didn't even. Yeah, he didn't even come back to the <laughs> argument. He goes on to say that is a positive idea. You got Kanye West, one of the most powerful humans. No, I'm not saying the most. <laughs> I'm not saying the most because you get a lot of alien level superpowers. What? And it's only collectively that we can set it free. Let's get back to Wak. <laughs> what the hell is he talking about? Let's get back to Wakanda. Like in the movie in Wakanda, when the king went to visit that lead scientist to have the shoes wrap around her shoes. Just the amount of... <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> this is what... I'm not joking. And then he says, just the amount of innovation that can happen. The amount of innovation in medicine, like Big Pharma. We are going to work, innovate together. What is he saying? I don't know. I don't know. Does he know that Wakanda has, like this alien material that's why they're so advanced or does he just think <laughs> if you wear a tunic you'll get superpowers does he know that it isn't real what is he talking about I know when he goes on about the shoes it's mental Kanye West is insane as everyone knows he's absolutely bat poop crazy he recently tweeted that Kim Kardashian had just become a billionaire with a picture of let me show you Basically, Kanye West uh, tweeted congratulations to his wife, Kim Kardashian, for becoming a billionaire. And underneath had a picture, a uh, dandelion and a rose. Oh, my God. And it was just, like, there. It wasn't arranged. It was just on the floor of a picture. It was really weird. But people's responses to it were like, wow, read the room, man. <laughs> what are you talking about? How? People say billionaires are not good like this is the problem this isn't a proud thing this isn't congratulations on um, earning your starting up your first charity congratulations you're stupid rich oh it's it's mental here we go found it found it okay it's two peppers Uh, what is that a cherry tomato flower and a tomato you've weathered the craziest storms and God is shining on you and our family so blessed this is still life. So I made you this still life. Dude, there's a pandemic. I know, right? Oh. There's people underneath like, what? What are you talking about? That's it's gross, dude. But yeah, all right. Well. That's Fortnite Small Night. What a positive ending to Fortnite Small Night. Yeah. The time has finally come. The most anticipated video game event of the year. The release of the sequel to one of the most successful franchises in the history of gaming. But what will I think of it? Well, it's time for Nick's Game Reviews. 
Doom Eternal. Doom 2016 is a masterpiece of gamecraft, the perfect balance of level design, combat mechanics, audio and setting expectations. Tell someone you're making a Doom game where all you have to do is shoot everything and then fulfilling that promise? It was exceptional right from the moment Doom Guy bashes away the screen that tries to give you a story. This is Doom. Doom does not need a story, it just needs demons and shooting and superb maps to explore. So, Doom Eternal must be onto a winner, right? They already know how to please fans of the franchise, just so more of the same, but with different maps, enemies and weapons, right? Hmm. Sitting down to play it and, well, within five minutes they've already tried to force a story down my throat, causing me to literally gag with displeasure. Within 15 minutes they've thrown platforming at me. Platforming in a Doom game. I mean for... <clears throat> I of course carried on because in between all the story and platforming is still that doomy fighting and awesome music. Except the fighting doesn't always feel so fun. Within a few hours you're introduced to a variety of different enemies that you can't simply shoot. You have to use different weapons and abilities and glory kills to have any chance of taking them down. And then come the Marauders. Jesus Christ, possibly one of the worst enemies ever designed for a Doom game. The whole point of Doom is to be so fast paced that it makes you feel like a god. Flitting around the screen, shooting like a maniac and occasionally ripping a demon's entrails out through its throat. The Marauders completely slow the gameplay down and require you to think to plan your attacks and constantly retreat to heal up and restock ammo. Retreat! But I'm the Doom Guy, Doom Guy doesn't retreat. <sighs> Is this just id Software misreading what people like about the first game? Or Bethesda interfering and saying, you need to add more? The only saving grace of this truly disappointing follow-up to one of the best games of this generation is the final mission. You are zipping from one building to another so smoothly, fighting hordes of enemies with every weapon you can get and every ability available, and it feels like doom. Everything just clicks. All of that extra gump the game has been teaching you from the start, the complicated weapons, the platforming, the different ways to resupply your ammo, armour and health, it all just makes sense and suddenly feels like what I expected from Doom Eternal. So, I wouldn't say it's a terrible game. It's far from it. It is a good game. I think it just was always going to be compared to its predecessor, and that's never a good thing. But I was disappointed. Certain games should spend time teaching you things so that when you get to the end you feel like an OP god among men. Doom isn't one of them. I want to feel OP from the start. Still, at least the music is still epic. Oh, mademoiselle. Would you like to have a film discussion? Oh yes, Monsieur. I would love to have an in-depth film discussion with you, like I do on screen, Bucket. Boom towns, 
a new life and the promised land. Once upon a time. So, Once Upon a Time in the West, my pick for different. Yes, and a different choice altogether because we've never done a Western before. Yeah, no, we've certainly never done a Western that's also co- frequently in the top 100 films of all time mm. across multiple magazines and things. Yes, Once Upon a Time in the West, 1968, Sergio Leone, flipping classic. Yeah, amazing film. It's... It's very unique in the sense that it is a spaghetti western. It's made by Italians, Sergio Leone obviously being the director and writer, but it's not fun. Not really. No. There's moments of comedy in it, but it's, on the whole, a much more mature, much more grown-up kind of western. Yeah. Um, It comes at a time when Sergio Leone was sick of doing westerns. He didn't want to do it anymore. To put in context, westerns were... To, in the 60s, the equivalent of the superhero movie now. Mm. You, there was one every year. There's yeah. more than one every year. And this is kind of, like, 1968 was kind of when they started to wind down, wasn't it? They was getting becoming a bit less prevalent. I think around then, it was moving from westerns to, like, crime. Yeah. I think that was around the sort of time. Sci-fi came after that mm. for the big sort of blockbuster yeah, kind of stuff. Ushered in the... the godfather days and the scarface days and so on and yeah yeah absolutely so this is um this is a film that i've i've enjoyed for many many years the big moment of watching once upon a time in the west was when i was living with nick um and we decided to watch it because we got into westerns i think i was showing him a lot we're sort of watching a lot of westerns and we decided to put this one on because i knew of it i don't think i'd actually seen it then um, I knew of its reputation and certainly of the music. Um, but back then, our internet was rubbish. We were streaming it. It was on Sky or whatever. Ooh, oh, no. And it was really, really bad. And we were streaming it. And we were watching it in chunks because the internet would stop and we'd have to let it load. Mm. So what happened was we would watch the opening scene, or most of it. Uh, we'd have to stop. And we'd go out and do something, go and go shopping cook dinner and we'd watch a little bit more and we'd go out and do something else we'd eat dinner then we'd have to stop it again and what it meant was we watched this film over the course of a whole day almost from like 10 till 10 like this was a a long process which meant we got to know the characters which meant we kept thinking about the characters and there's a there's a weird sort of time jump throughout the film and by the end we were like we know everyone we're so like we were so wrapped up in all of it. The music was in our head for weeks, especially Cheyenne's theme. <laughs> yeah, that's my favourite theme, even more than the, more so than the harmonica. Ah. Well, we well we had to watch it in two parts because I had a lot of beers and antibiotics yesterday. <laughs> but I, even without the beer and antibiotics, I would much have preferred to have watched it in two sittings anyway. 
I think it, it would have been. It's it's a heavy film, like you say. It's not like as um, light and sort of humorous as maybe other Western films. No, a lot of the Clint Eastwood Western films were much more. They would have silly characters running out. Oh no! Oh, oh yeah. my chicken! Well, you've got the ugly, haven't you? In the good, the bad, yeah, exactly. People, people like that, and there is humor in this. That once upon a time in the West isn't a dire, dark, horrible. There is humor. The character Shane characters pretty humorous. Yes, he is. He is. He's uh, just, it's just a. It is a good film to watch in two bits. I think. Yeah, I, I, I would say. Also, where we ended it was quite nice as well. I think there is, and there's a lot to it. Mm. So one of the things it's why it's a different film to use the keyword. Uh, there are a lot of different characters coming in, and each one has their own story. Mm. Almost unbelievably so. Like, well, you've got the mysterious harmonica. Yeah, we never know his name. Uh, played by Charles Bronson, a young Charles. Bronson, a sort of angry tanned pug of a man. Yeah, he I, he just looks perpetually old and yet like he's a weathered man. You know those brown leather footballs? Yeah. It's like that with legs. Yeah. It's just a... But we don't really know anything about him. He doesn't... We don't share much about him. He's, he's very much your man with no name role. Yeah. But unlike Clint Eastwood in that position, you know nothing. Clint Eastwood has a... A swagger and a charisma and a charm, and he's got his little cigar and he's got his flamboyant hat and his flipping things. Charles Bronson just walks about, mm. just blonks about, Pops playing his himself har- on a bar every now and again. Yeah, just playing his harmonica, as Ch- Shane says. He instead of talking, he plays, and when he better play, he talks. He's just an observer, isn't he? More than anything, yeah. I mean. He's he's a sort of spirit animal. So you've got. So you've got Harmonica, he's doing his own thing. Then we've got, uh, we'll do it in order as we meet them, I suppose. We've got, uh, we've got Jill McBain, a, uh, played by the wonderful Claudia Cardinale, uh, who is a new arrival. We'll talk a bit more about her later on. She's a new arrival. She's going off to see her new family. She's got her own plans. She's, she's been released from the prison of her former life in New Orleans. We've got Cheyenne, who's a, Gang leader, played by Jason Robards. I love his face. He's got such a, uh, I don't know, a warm rock star twinkle in his eye. I know what you mean. There's something, I mean, every... every... The facial hair helps. He looks like your friendly uncle, but not that friendly uncle. <laughs> the nice one. The one who's got all the famous actors' stories and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. signed vinyls and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so he's he's a gang leader, but he's pretty affable. He's quite nice. Mm. He's quite funny. He's got again. He's got the he's got the swagger as a sort as the sidekick. He does well. You know music, and you can count all the way up to two. All the way up to six, if I have to. Um, and then we've got Henry Fonda's character. Uh, Frank. Frank. Yes. The bad guy. Now, Henry Fonda was the good guy. He was the actor who played all the good guys. Hmm. And suddenly he's this ice-cold killer. So Sergio Leone says you got the part, tells him to get his ass to Italy. So Henry Fonda's thinking, well, I've got to change these twinkling blue eyes for brown eyes and I've got to grow a big evil moustache. Yeah, yeah. He arrives, Sergio Leone says, nah, get rid of that. I want the audience to see you and recognise you 
And yeah. that's interesting, isn't it? And it adds depth to, like you were saying, with the depth of the characters to have this um, such a recognisable protagonist in the eyes of the audience. Yeah, well, yeah. You link to him on a human level because you've, you're seeing a good guy on appearance, mm. but then he does all these rotten things. Well, Henry Fonda, I mean, if you compare him to Lee Van Cleef, who plays the baddie in all the other spaghetti westerns, he's the, he's the bad in The Good, the Bad and the Ugly. He's a sort of dark-eyed true man. Mm. And then you see the sort of handsome, blue-eyed... Beautiful man. You know, and I, I think that's part of why it works. So Frank is a he's a he's a low-down cowboy gang man. Mm. But he's kind of getting sick of it himself. He's too old now. He starts fantasizing life behind a desk and using money rather than mm. guns. So that's quite interesting that we get all this expansion. Frank works for... Uh, this mysterious Mr. Morton, a kind of a sort of bloated, rich, disabled Mr. Potter character who spends most of his time in his beautiful office with all its chandeliers in the back of a train. And this guy is, we're assuming to be evil. He's controlling the bad guys. But at the same time, he's dying and his one wish is to see the ocean and to build a Railway yeah, from east to west. It's, it's such an amazing detail. You got this guy, this bad guy who's rotten with tuberculosis. He's, and yeah, like you say, um, definitely masterminding this big criminal plan. But yeah, at the same time, that's all he wants. He wants to get to the ocean before he before he dies. Yeah. Like, oh it, my god! And even when he has the determination to hobble over and join a card game for part of a bigger sort of scheme. Mm. There's humanity in his face and what he did. You feel sorry for him. Yeah. And He's constantly bullied throughout the film and you kind of think, well, I kind of... It's... And his fate is poetic as hell as well. Oh, yeah. Beautiful touch. So I think the big thing with Once Upon a Time in the West is, as we say, Sergio Leone is kind of sick of Westerns. He wants to retire out of the genre. Um, he wanted Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood was sick of it as well. Mm. Couldn't get him. So I ended up with Charles Bronson. Um, who incidentally they tried to get before, but he said no. Uh, it's time for a more mature Western. And a lot of the decisions were made flipping the norm. Mm. So Henry Fonda, handsome leading actor, is the baddie. Yep. And we have the baddie who actually is really sympathetic. Mm. And almost the the kind of main revenge quest is almost like, meh. yeah, Like, it's just there. The actual story is about the West dying and becoming the modern day. Yeah. The whole thing is about industrialization. It's about building towns. It's about installing a railway. It's like his own little farewell to the genre in a weird way, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. And it it ties in with with modern Western stuff. Red Dead Redemption 2, the absolute record-breaking video game franchise. The, The recent game having a story about a gang of Western gunfighters sort of getting too old for it and realising they don't really have a place anymore. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting sort of repeated thing. Yeah. I mean, it's well he's kind of um, done something different with... I mean, I know he was reluctant to at first, but eventually he did. The, the plot revolves around Jill as opposed to the Spaghetti Trilogy where it's revolving around the man with no name. Mm. We've got this revolves around the woman, which is a first in terms of what he's done. She's not... I mean... That's not to say she's a particularly wonderful feminist icon. She's not a strong character. And <laughs> oh, she she is in a way, but she like accepts rape yeah. as an option. 
Ma'am, it seems to me you ain't caught the idea. Of course I have. I'm here alone in the hands of a bandit who smelled money. If you want to, you can lay me over the table and amuse yourself. And even call in your men. Well, no woman ever died from that. When you're finished, all I'll need will be a tub of boiling water. And I'll be exactly what I was before. With just another filthy memory. She does what she has to do to survive. Yeah, which is which is key. But she also makes coffee for the git who's just barges his way in. Mm. You know what I mean? So, yeah... But yeah, it's it's quite a powerful, influential character in this world, which is interesting. But what is the plot? What is the general... We can't go too depth because it's so long. Yeah, um, so Jill returns to her family home to find... Well, her... she arrives for the first time. Yeah, okay, she arrives for the first time and her family's massacred. Yeah, so she's met the... We've got... There's the... Who's described in the town as the angry Irishman who has weird, bought this big patch of land for no reason. And he's also married, he's, he's obviously at some point visited New Orleans and married Jill, a prostitute. woman of the night. A woman of the night. Uh, and on her arrival, on the day of her arrival, the whole family is uh, massacred mm. by a gang of brown coat wearing men mm. and it's we as an audience know what's going on but there's a mystery afoot because the only brown wearing men are Shayan's gang as we discover mm. but Shayan has nothing he protests he has nothing to do with it and so we open on this kind of mystery plot of number one who who did it because it wasn't them why did they do it why did they do it because there's no gold in the house as she finds out and it sort of slowly unravels with small bits of information being found by different characters. So Harmonica, should we talk about Harmonica's arrival, that scene? Yes, I think we should. The opening scene. What a freaking amazingly awesome scene, which um, just reading through doing some research, it was sort of influenced, um, copied to a certain extent by Westerns Gone By, and then kind of turned into Sergio Leone's own thing. Yeah, and I think the, the first shot, you even said, whoa, yeah. <laughs> that was one head of a cold opening. It's just a door being flung open. Mm. The first scene is, it feels long. It kind of is long. But the key thing is there's no music. No. You're watching three horrible looking men waiting at a train station. They're so obviously baddies. Oh, yeah. There's a fly landing on one. This horrible stubble. The thing, like, I didn't mind the length of the scene because it's such a beautiful scene in terms of like what it's filmed on and its lighting and the detail of the skin on the characters. Everyone's so weathered and tanned and wrinkly, and you can they've got deep eyeballs and stuff like that going in. It's it's all so good to look at. Yeah, and there's so much to look at Mm. at at all times. I think it it used the. One of the pioneers of a new type of um, of camera, I think, is what one of the reasons why it stands out so much. Hmm. Um, techno vision or something. Um, so it, it, it's it's of its time. It is remarkably good, yeah. and I think it does hold up. The, the opening, all we hear is the environmental sounds. Yeah. We hear a irritating fan or a wind turbine thing mm. throughout. We hear. 
woods just sort of tumbling around. We hear the wind. We hear little splashes of water as it drips into the guy's hat. And we just sat here. It's mesmerising. Yeah, it's... it's absolutely mesmerising. It's something... It's like... You only get these, like, 10-hour ambient fall-asleep music to study to things on YouTube. You ever like see that. these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like that. You can just watch these guys. Just... I mean, the guy... Um... <laughs> One particular guy who they had to spread the jam on his face to make the fly land back on it. And he he's particularly good to watch out because you can see him getting a bit annoyed with this fly, but not enough to kind of swat it. Yeah. And well, you can tell that he's sort of like humouring it. Like this is the most entertainment I've got. Yeah. <laughs> to try and blow the fly off my lip. There's an old ticket guy who's kind of like being taken hostage. He's just in there, panic stricken. Oh, it's the ultimate old Italian frail man. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then uh, our man turns up. Yeah. Through use of that spooky, creepy harmonica noise. Mm. The One of the things I love about this film is the dialogue is so snappy and so... There's lots of one-liners and little bits of sharp wit about it. So there's a line... So, Harmonica's there to meet Frank, mm. but Frank's not there. He's sent three goons instead. And Frank? Frank sent us. Did you bring a horse for me? <laughs> Looks like we're <laughs> Looks like we're shy of one horse. <laughs> you brought two too many. <laughs> and yeah, he bloody kills him. Bang, 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 bang. And a lovely little crash out oh yeah bah, 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 bah. The, the, the motion in the in the camera work is really really nice it's not your flat bah, bah, bah. yeah as you say it's, it's like um you only have to watch any individual like sergio leone western to see the influence especially on people like quentin tarantino it's so, quentin tarantino's movies are drenched <laughs> in sergio leone yeah it's mad and, and like you're saying that kind of camera angle and the the positioning and the bad guys and the tension and stuff, it's all its all influenced. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Tarantino famously, he wanted to make a Western, so he made a World War II Western. He made Inglorious Bastards. He then just made Westerns after that. But you can tell that he, he's always had that in him. Mm. There's a reason he keeps using Ennio Morricone in all of his films. In fact, uh, Django, we just read that Django Unchained had an original piece by Ennio Morricone, which is huge. Mental. Um, but the, that's the thing, the music in this film. So we've already heard a creepy harmonica. That's all we've heard by the opening. McBain. When we get to the McBain have farmstead, when they get massacred, it's again, it's mostly silent. It's all just gunshots. And there's a really cool bit where the crickets, all the jacadas, just go silent. And they all get really spooked. But the, the music kicks in when a kid runs out of the farmhouse sees the bodies and the moment he runs out and identifies it bang man of the harmonica music it it gave me chills like genuinely that's crazy it's wonderful and so 
we we set all these things up and the characters start interacting while Jill is on her way to the farmstead mm. in the most rundown saloon I've ever seen. Well, we meet. Well, so what we've got, we've got a little saloon. Uh, Cheyenne, his arrival is by the sounds of gunfighting and punching and smashing outside the door. Yeah. And do you remember the guy's voice? The bartender. Uh, David. <laughs> yeah. David. Yeah. Just, everyone starts chatting up uh, Jill, mm. as you would. Uh, <laughs> do you want to see this thing? But we get this really fun thing where Shane is being bothered by harmonica playing the harmonica. And just there's just this interaction that's just so slow and tense, and it's wonderful. But beyond that, Shane and Harmonica start rubbing up against each other. They start noticing each other around Jill. Because mm. Shane has been blamed for Jill's, the murder of Jill's family, and he turns up, and then he's been watched by Harmonica, who knows that there's a connection to Frank. And there's this whole like, interweaving mystery as they try and work out who's done this, who Frank is, and where to find him. It's, yeah, it's, it all happens at the right time. And then obviously afterwards, when the, the harmonica, he's on the train and he gets kind of kidnapped, they realise he's on the top. And then you're introduced to the rich train guy at the right time, into more of the scheme. You learn about, obviously, Henry Fonda's big plot. And then after that, the models of the stations are found in the house. Yeah. All of the sort of little plot pieces, all of the all of the puzzle pieces come together exactly at the right time. That's the that's it. It's that it's what's and what's nice as we mentioned is the whole scheme is actually just a money thing. It's the McBain's wanted to build a station, a new town on a patch of water in the middle of the desert, whereas Mister Morton wanted to drive straight through it and just own all the land. And if the station wasn't built by the time the railroad arrived, he would own it all. So they murdered McBain. It's this endlessly complicated thing that just flows it just makes sense as you watch it it does although and again maybe down to the antibiotics and the beer <laughs> there was a point where we started watching it today and i was like i don't i don't know what's going on <laughs> you have to i mean pause it and explain it to me that's the thing that that's one issue with like sits these films i think yeah. if you're not 100% engaged you do go oh, what, what's happening yeah. but I think that's that's to its strength as well I don't know about you when I watch older films from 40s 50s 60s I reckon I get the same feeling afterwards like I get reading a book mm. I actually feel smarter for watching them yeah no I know what you mean whereas if you watch modern films you're like uh, yeah yeah <laughs> definitely yeah it's great yeah. It needs, well, they need a bit of brain power just to sort of absorb it all and keep up well it's funny because i think there's a there's an element of theater in older films yeah so there's an element more of of clever storytelling over visuals which is what this is i think completely there is still a done duel a final duel at the end but it, it's kind of incidental yeah the plot is about saying farewell to the world yeah um, absolutely. to see to witness a new town being born and to have some beautiful any Morricone music over the top Absolutely, man. Definitely. So, yes. I mean, uh, this is one of my favourite westerns of all time. Uh, and I hope you liked it too. It was a great film and I'm very, very happy you picked it. Um, I will ask the question. Do you think this is going yes. to the Hollowdale Media Hall of Fame? It should go into the Hollowdale Media Stream Bucket Vault of Goodness. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. The Vault of Goodness. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's just underneath the Hall of Heroes where Lord <laughs> of the Rings is. Uh, hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Still sharp. <laughs> right. You need to choose a film. There's a book. Where is the book? Can I find a book? So you just... Adam just said to me, what's what's a book for your current situation? And he handed me a book called The Book of Hero- Heroic Failures. Yep. Why, have I, why am I heroic failing at the moment? Well, your body's falling apart, isn't it? That's true. Okay, yeah, I can take that. You've heroically survived 30 years of life. And now you've no, closing in on the very first. I had a, I went, I got my blood test result back, and they said, oh, yeah. "There's nothing wrong with you. No further action required." They NFA are they NFA complete? Yeah, <laughs> get next. What's that about? Obviously, that w- obviously, I'm dying. I had that once before. I had a mi- I used to get migraines all the time, and I got my eyes tested, and they went, "Well, it's not your eyes." But don't worry about it. What? Okay, get out. Uh, well, yeah, the Book of Heroic Failures, written by Stephen Pyle, the official handbook of the not terribly good club of Great Britain. Yay! All right, so probably living in one big so failure now. Turn pages for me. Oh yeah, is, is are that, you is diseased? Well, do you, you do that, and I'll tell you to stop. Oh, okay, right, cool. Oh yeah. Cool. How many times? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's confusing. Right, stop. Uh, stop. Right, read sentence. What's the word? Orchestra. Oh. What's the sentence? Unhampered by preordained melody, the orchestra tackled the great compositions, agreeing only on when they should start and finish. Okay. What's the subject? The worst orchestra ever to perform in public was the Portsmouth Symphonia. Formed in 1970, two two-thirds of its members had never touched an instrument before. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, excellent. All orchestra. Right. Orchestra, that's interesting. That gives me everything. I can either choose a film about orchestras or i can choose a film with a magnificent orchestral score oh. i can't lose green bucket adam and rob adam's film ish reviews blood machines 2019 i've never seen so many wrecks maybe they had souls too And my age holds certain beliefs. Machines is a film and also apparently a web series, according to horror streaming site Shudder. And it just blew me away so much I had to review it. A sequel to a music video by the godlike synthwave maestro Carpenter Brute, Blood Machines introduces us to a future world of living spacecraft, fragile male ego, and let me say once again, godlike synthwave. Proposed to be on the scale of a Hollywood movie, Blood Machine's writer and director Seth Ickerman was able to create the film with the help of two hugely successful Kickstarter campaigns, allowing him to create the level of effects and scale he wanted. A pretty impressive feat for his otherwise a glorified music video. But let's not get off track. Blood Machines opens on a desolate planet and the arrival of the brave and abusive Captain Vuskan, played by Anders Heimixen and his elderly and wise mechanic Largo, played by Christian Eriksen, 
Spaceship Hunters by Trade, it's up to Vascan to track down spaceships that have been taken over by their onboard artificial intelligence and return them to base, or destroy them, if not. On their arrival to the planet, Vascan is disgusted to find the ship is just shot down to be surrounded by scavengers. Believing them to be nothing but vultures, Vastan arms himself and heads out to shoo them away, but is soon taken captive and forced to watch as one of the scavengers, Corey, played by Eliza Lazowski, undergoes some sort of religious ritual to the spacecraft. Straddling the ship's hull, Corey summons the form of a naked woman from the ship's metal and lets her free as the naked form ascends from the wreckage and into orbit. Escaping his captors, Vascan captures Corey and launches in his own ship with Largo and Tracy, his, his own artificial intelligence, still shackled to the ship. Ignoring his orders to return to base, Vascan sets off in pursuit of the woman, believed by Largo to be the ship's soul, as they transcend space for a portal, discovering the vast graveyard of spacecraft beyond. It soon becomes apparent that there's a lot more to simple nuts and bolts in these spacecraft, and they're not to be ignored any longer. Blood Machines is, quite frankly, amazing. Originally supposed to be a short 30-minute film, the success and popularity of Blood Machines on Kickstarter pushed the filmmakers to go beyond this, and with the combination of Carpenter Brute's phenomenal soundtrack, Blood Machines just launched itself into one of my favourite web series of all time. I say web series because, well, there's not a whole lot there. The visuals are breathtaking, the music is spine-tingling, but the story is... It's a little light. Where there is a theme, it's hard to say that it isn't more than a little on the nose. I get it. I like it, but I get it. There is very little in the way of complications in this film, only the build-up to a stunning climax. But maybe that's okay. Blood Machines, like I say, is like one long music video, and it absolutely had me hooked to the screen from start to finish. You can easily compare it to Love, Death and Robots, even to the likes of Farscape and, yes, even Blade Runner. But I don't think it does it justice. If you have Shudder or are thinking of getting it soon, make this the top of your watch list. It will stay with you for days. So, uh... On Fortnite Schmortnight, I talked about Kanye West and how he's going to run his presidency like the mythical city of Wakanda. Yeah, what an idiot. Yes. It got me thinking, though. Um, Adam, if you were to win the presidency, being that you are a film buff, um, what, what, how, if you could run the presidency in any way influenced by film, how would you run it? So, uh, this to run the country as if it was a so, film, or just the White House. Do you want me to give you an example? Yeah. Okay, so what I would do... I would go the Hogwarts route. Now, hear me out. I would get a crazy old bearded man as the president and I'd make him choose one new, fresh, young White House intern to save all the world's problems. (laughs) So the entire pressure is, I have great trust in you, Barry Porter. And what you're going to do is you're going to sneak into China and spy on them and stop them from stealing all our money and taking over the world and um, invade TikTok. And I, this poor intern is going to have to do it all on his own with the help of his ginger friends and a nerd. I thought uh, you were going to say that everyone, the cabinet gets chosen by a hat going on their head. Yes. And deciding, you are Secretary, De- Democrat. Secretary of Defence. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yes. Okay, well, that's interesting. You could have Area 51 is guarded by a free de- free-headed dog. Um, yeah, the list goes on. Um, 
how the bad guy would be um, Kim John Demort. <laughs> what? Kim John Demort. Oh God. What? Uh, I just got it. You've been thinking about that all day. <laughs> I, I just thought of it. Uh. How would you? Mean? How would I, that was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it would be great. Well, bearing in mind how terribly everything's going now already, mm. we need to sort of boil things back a bit. But just boil it back to its basic necessities. Okay. So, ten Cloverfield Lane. Oh, okay. So what we do is we lock John Goodman, a lovely lady, Mary and, Elizabeth Winston, and a man who I can't remember. Uh, we lock them in the White House, right. And tell them that the wars happened. We lock them in the bunker where he, Trump hid during the Black Lives Matter march. Uh, we lock them in, and we'd say you have to solve all these problems, and you have to do it stuck inside a vault. Okay. Does that work? Yeah. So they have access; they can control things outside the White House. <gasps> I've got another one. All right, go on. Mad Max. Yeah, I was wondering when, when you were going to say that. I you was thinking... stick the White House on the back of a giant oil tanker and drive <laughs> it around America so no enemies will know where it is. Brilliant. Okay. And you have all the, the aids and assistance in little mo- cars and bikes around it. He's, I mean, there's going to be a lot of oil needed. That's fine, because you just siphon it off as you go. There's a big, <laughs> there's a big hoover... And they drive around Texas and just suck it out of the ground. Okay. Um, and is there going to be a weird guy in a mask who drinks milk? Or is this going back pre... No, we're talking pre... So you're talking classic Mad Max. Yeah, oh uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Who is? Are we going to have a leather-clad Joe Biden? We're going to have a completely naked, except for a hockey mask, uh, president. Okay. And we're going to have to have a gimp. What's the, what's the fucking line he says? Just walk away. When he's at the uh, at the ballot paper, when people are trying to vote him out, mm. just walk away. <laughs> just walk away. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yes. Okay, great. That's cool. Kanye, don't even bother, mate. Right. We plant a jungle in the, the grounds of the White House. Right. Arnie's in there. Aha. Uh-huh. His mates are in there. Right. And the... Everyone who is up to be president is in there, and you get picked by if you're the last surviving one. After we put an alien creature in there with laser vision, nice. Could we make Trump a mecha Trump? Whoa, whoa! Can we replace his arms with cannons and give him spider legs like and that he, guy in? Um, he's got his little Wild, hands Wild West. when he drinks. He pick, picks up his mug. Yeah, and he's got little um, things on his face like little insect chompers. <laughs> You want ugly mother. They came to party. They came from outer space. <laughs> but for these unhappy campers. Just put this thing on. Things are about to get slimy. If you go down to the woods today, you'd better keep an eye out for. Quaggers. They're mean, they're insane, and they're everywhere. And they've got an appetite for naughty campers. Starring Jody Bennett, Bailey Pillbeam, Isabel Albert, and Blake Aiden. Quackers! They're everywhere. We are not going back in that tent.
Watch it now at hollowdellmedia.vhx.tv And that was the show, Rob. Fantastic. What a lovely show. What, a, what we have learned and loved and lived. It feels a bit underwhelming, this show, this week. Why? I don't know. I feel like we haven't done anything. Well, that's because we haven't. We've just talked, sat down and talked. Yep. Is that the show now? No, it's not. Next week we'll think of something. We need things. We need stuff. Yeah. We do have some jingles coming in, some new jingles, which we'll talk about when they arrive. you know what we should do next week? What? We should make Josh do something. Oh, no. Let's get him in here. Oh, no. I want to speak to him. (laughs) We can phone anyone now. We've got the resource. We do? Okay. Who can we phone? Let's talk to someone. Let's get someone on the show. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll find someone. Okay. Awesome. Um. Instantly, cool little thing came up on my phone earlier. Now, this normally happens like in January time, so I haven't really thought about it. Does it? I keep missing it. It's one of those things that I don't know if you have something you keep seeing and going, "Oh, bugger! That was a week ago." Right. I'm gonna do it next year. Yeah. And then the same thing happens. Oh, damn it! I'm too busy. Uh. Well. For some reason, presumably corona-related, the Nickelodeon writing program competition has opened up now. Okay. So, deadline is 31st of August, I believe. Right. Uh, So, this is a thing where you can write for Nickelodeon, and they teach you everything you need to know about writing. This is really cool, especially if you're up and coming and want to get into that world. They send you over to, I think it's... Somewhere in California. It might be San Francisco. I can't remember. Um, sorry, August the 1st is the final closing date. And all you have to do is write a spec script for an existing show. And they judge you on that. And previous years, they've had really long, long lists. They've condensed it now. So I'm just going to run through them for you. So to get into this competition, you need to write a spec script for one of these shows. American Dad. Atlanta. Orkwafina is Nora from Queens. No idea. Big Mouth. Blackish. Bless This Mess. Bob's Burgers. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Disenchantment. DuckTales. F is for Family. Family Reunion. Grownish. High School Musical. The Musical. The Series. What? Insecure. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Kim's Convenience. Letter Kenny. Mum. On My Block. One Day at a Time. Pen 15. Looks like penis. Raven's Home. Rick and Morty. Shield. Shrill. South Park, Superstore, The Connors, The Goldbergs, The Last OG, What We Do in the Shadows, and Young Sheldon. Ah. Right. All right, let's get writing. Which one do you want to do? It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Is the, okay. it, I'd find that the easiest. South Park is just too clever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm curious by what we do in the shadows. I could probably knock together a Rick and Morty as well. Hmm, three weeks to do it. Yeah, let's give it a go. I'm going to and try. So yes, but apart from that, is there anything else you want to say? No, that's it from me. Cool. Okay, well, if you do like what you hear, do check us out on Patreon at www.patreon.co.uk slash Hollowdale Media. Do follow us on Twitter at stream underscore bucket or Twitter and Instagram at Hollowdale Media. Yes, please do. And do, if you want to check out the sort of weird videos we do, which incidentally we might be doing some more soon. Yes, do we check out yes. our Holodale Media YouTube channels, Holodale Media and Holodale Media 2. God, is that everything? That's everything. We're done. Hooray! 
have a wonderful fortnight, guys, uh, and we'll speak to you later. Yeah, speak to you later. Have a good one.